0: Hello there, I'm Miranda Gretton, and this is Take a Moment with NCHC, the show where we talk to you and your colleagues about experiences that affect you. Listen on your drive between patients or in your downtime, whenever you get the chance to take a moment.
1: My name's Rob Barker, I'm an autism and mental health nurse working with the Autism Service Norfolk, so my role is to try to liaise with NSFT mental health teams, anybody who comes across who has mental health difficulty and who is struggling, and to offer reasonable adjustments and support to the mental health teams to say this is how is best to support someone who is autistic.
0: Rob, just tell me a little bit about your experience of living and working as an autistic person yourself.
1: I have a diagnosis. I got my diagnosis in March 2021. People will say to you, Why do you need a diagnosis when you're so late in life now? And the best way to describe it is it gives you understanding. You can actually learn a lot more about who you are, how you fit into society. Autistic people adapt every single day to fit into society. And we're always told that we're inflexible and rigid and yet we're the ones having to do all the adaptions. Before my diagnosis, it was very difficult because there were all these issues going on that I didn't understand. that I didn't know why this was happening. I didn't know why I was reacting in certain ways. I started my career working in forensic services at NSFT. And a lot of people have said to me since my diagnosis, How did you cope with working on the wards? It's chaotic, it's unpredictable. But working in forensic services was quite different because everything was structured. Working out in the community, only structure and routine that you get there is the one that you put in yourself, which works for me because it allows me to then work to my strengths. Funnily enough, even prior to diagnosis, I acquired quite a lot of people who were autistic on my caseload and so our needs our sort of like of a structure and a routine works well for the both of us because we both knew that we would meet on this day at this time for this long and that worked brilliantly you know this is just adaptions that I have made and prior to diagnosis no adaptions were made for me since getting that diagnosis it means that the employer has to make reasonable adjustments to help me stay in work by law and so if an, uh, there is an area in which I struggle we have to come to a, an agreement as to how we best work that.
0: You have the diagnosis relatively recently 2021 yeah. yeah so prior to the diagnosis did you did you basically think that you were autistic but obviously and and, and maybe Go about your day as as though you had that Um, you know that diagnosis already.
1: I was always the weirdo, the odd one, the freak, and that that led to a lot of issues during my school life. You know, um, school school wasn't pleasant for me. You know, I had a special interest that didn't keep in with any of my peers, so that was a target for bullies, and it made made me very sort of hyper vigilant. And well, when I was at school. Autism wasn't a thing. I was always using my hands, fiddling about, and it was always, right, come on, look, sit still, sit still, don't fidget, okay, right, sit on your hands, okay, if you can't keep still, you're going to go and stand in the corner, all right, if you can't stand in the corner, you're going to leave the room. But all the way through primary school, I was top of the class in maths, you know, stereotypical. I'm a very visual learner, I have to be able to see what's going on. I would always sort of step back a little bit in new groups and try and learn the group before I'd fully reveal myself for want of a better phrase to become who I am and but even then I'd still be masking to a degree but all this I didn't realize was typical autistic traits at that time I didn't know much about it I think I first became aware of autism sort of around 2004 2005 time at that point I'd nearly finished university so things had gone on after that prior to my diagnosis I'd had people sort of say to me in sort of a jokey way, "Oh, Rob, you're so autistic," and I just sort of laughed and shrugged it off and said, so, "Well, you know, we're all a little bit autistic, aren't we? We're all on the spectrum somewhere." And let me tell you now, that's that's the wrong attitude. You know, it's it's not a linear spectrum from not autistic to very autistic. That is a complete myth that needs busting right there and then. But it wasn't until somebody sat down and did the AQ50, the autism quotient test with me, the screening test, that I suddenly thought, actually, maybe, maybe there is something to this. My wife picked up a book and gave it to me. I sat there and I read the thing cover to cover and I was reading it. I was like, has somebody been spying on me? This is like, this is, book has been written about me, about my life. And it, it was the the penny drop. It was the light bulb moment. And things started making sense. And I'd spent so much of my life thinking that I was at fault, that I was wrong, that I was broken in some way, that I didn't fit in, that, you know, I couldn't keep peer relationships going. I found it very difficult to start and maintain a conversation. It took a lot of work for me to get to the point where I could turn around and say, it wasn't that little boy's fault. He was doing his best. He was trying to survive in a system that hadn't been set up for him, didn't have him in mind and didn't want to take into account his differences.
0: Absolutely you were navigating a world that just did not cater for you, didn't understand yeah, you, didn't the, cater for you. The
1: best way I could think of it to to put it to someone who doesn't have that insight is to say imagine one day waking up in a world where everybody's speaking a different language and acting in a strange way you go out into this world and people start pointing at you and sort of saying, well you're not acting in the right way you're speaking in a funny way but they don't want to seem to be bothered to try and learn your language so you have to try and learn theirs you have to try and act in their way but because this isn't natural to you you don't quite get it right and all the time you get people saying Why are you saying that in that funny way? Why are you doing that in that silly way? You're doing that wrong. You're not doing that right. You need to try harder. You need to pay more attention. You need to listen. And so you keep putting in, putting in and putting in, and you borrow energy from tomorrow to keep going, but you still keep getting those comments. And it just, it destroys your sense of self-worth. It destroys your self-esteem. It destroys your mental health. There is a very good reason why, A lot of people who are autistic have mental health problems. Nearly 90% of people on the waiting list for ASN have a recorded mental health diagnosis, 88.6%. Between 2014 and 2019, the National Autistic Society found that 76% of autistic people reached out for mental health support, and that is just people who had the diagnosis, not including the people who are waiting for a diagnosis or were undiagnosed. The figures for... Mental health amongst the autistic population is far greater than it is the neurotypical population.
0: You yourself, you've struggled with your mental health. Yes,
1: yes, I have um, long standing diagnosis of depression and anxiety. And this stems back to childhood. But I'm learning that at that time, going back as far as it was, I wasn't aware of it. I didn't have the language to express exactly how I was feeling pushing 40, I still struggled to identify name and label emotions. As an eight, nine, 10 year old, I didn't have the ability to do so. And all I could say was, I feel sad. And I said, well, everybody feels sad. And so I thought it was normal. Then you get the whole, when you're at school, oh, but with people who self-harm or what say they want to kill themselves are attention seeking. And so when those thoughts were coming through, I didn't want to articulate them because I didn't want to be seen in the negative light that that was seen in, it in the 90s. So it kept quiet. And it wasn't until I was 18 that I got a diagnosis. Well, I had my first lot of antidepressants. And I only, I only took four weeks of it because at the time I didn't really understand mental health. I'd never really looked into it because I didn't realize that's what it was. And so I took them just as you would a course of antibiotics or something and went on the merry way. But the issues were still there. I was having massive anxiety attacks, massive panic attacks. I look back at them now and there were probably meltdowns in there as well. I struggled through university, somehow managed three years, got into employment before I had a huge, huge mental breakdown. That was 2007. I ended up off work, I ended up losing my job and the experience that I went through from that, suicidal thoughts, self-harm, all the really darkest days of my life to that point. And I managed to survive. I don't know how, but I managed to survive. And having gone through that, it made me think, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. I want to do something to help people who are in this situation. And I was seeing um, a careers advice counsellor at the job centre at this point And I said this to them and they said, well, have you ever thought about mental health nursing? And I genuinely hadn't at that point. But that was, again, one of these light bulb moments. I was like, oh, that's an idea. So I went and I did my nurse training and I went to university again. I had another little lapse of my mental health while I was there again. I managed to keep pushing through because I had a goal. I had something that I knew I wanted to do. Here I am. I've been qualified 12 years And yes, I have had a couple more sort of breakdowns. I've had one of them was a depression and an autistic burnout. And for those who don't know what an autistic burnout is, it's very, very similar to a depression. there, There is a massive, massive overlap. However, with depression, you encourage people to engage in occupational therapies. You encourage them to go out. You encourage them to do this. You encourage sort of a mindfulness approach where you're looking at your senses you do that to someone in autistic burnout, you're going to burn them out more. Quite often, the autistic person themselves will struggle to identify at that point because the two are so similar. I think the the lowest points that I've had, I, in the last few years, nearly ended my life. I easily fall under the category of the 66% of autistic people who think about ending their life. And I fall into the category of the 35% of autistic people who have planned and or attempted. But I am still here. I have survived my darkest days so far. Do I still struggle? Yes, I do. Have I been learning coping mechanisms and coping strategies? Yes, I have. Do they always work? No, they don't. I do still have days where it's very, very difficult for me to actually open my eyes in the morning. But then I have days where I can just jump out of bed, Crack on with what I need to do and not have to think about things. It fluctuates.
0: I mean, Rob, it just sounds like it's been such a struggle. But you are such a strong person to have pulled yourself through that, especially prior to your diagnosis of, of autism, to have gone through something like that and still not really understand what you were going through. I think is a huge thing, and you should really, you should be so proud of how you've managed all of that. I, I think that's incredible.
1: Thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. You even post diagnosis, you still get a lot of misunderstanding and stigma. Yeah, you know, it's it's become a trigger phrase for me, really. But when I've been struggling and I've called up for support, I I no longer tell people I'm a mental health nurse because the moment you do, oh really? What would you say to someone in your position then? I'm in the midst of a crisis. My insight has gone when you are in the midst of a mental health crisis the ability to stop and rationally think about how best to approach this has gone
0: when you say that you you've called up for help what what does that support look like to you what kind of support mechanisms do you use
1: it can vary i used to use mindfulness quite a lot i still do practice mindfulness because mindfulness can be very very good at grounding you getting you back in the moment techniques can also be very dependent on what's going on If I am burning out and I'm in an autistic burnout, then a sensory grounding approach is not going to work. That is going to be a case of okay, you need to reduce your sensory input, engage in a special interest or a passion, and work that way. Depression, on the other hand, you lose interest in your special interest, you lose interest in hobbies, you lose interest in those things. This is where you need to start looking. Occasionally, there's the pharmaceutical approach, which can be very difficult with autistic people because of the brain. The brain is wired. Or then there is the starting to engage in occupational activities. It's very, very dependent on when you are in a crisis situation and you're not quite sure whether it's burnout, depression, anxiety. It's very hard to sort of identify the right approach for that yeah, situation.
0: It's it's almost like you you need a file of facts full of all of the possible solutions but yeah. in, the, in a burnout situation you haven't got the brain space to flick through the uh, file of facts it, and pick out the right one
1: as most support with mental health these days is done over the phone it's very very difficult because many many autistic people myself included struggle on the phone even now I'm not always getting exactly what I want to say out but it can be very very stressful and that stress can lead to greater anxiety, and that can make communication difficult.
0: How often do you feel comfortable in a situation where you are communicating with someone to explain that you have a diagnosis of autism at the beginning to maybe sort of help them understand where you're coming from and to maybe give you a bit more time, either in like a situation with friends, family, patients, or even, you know, at work?
1: I'm very open about who I am, about my diagnosis. After I got my diagnosis, I told my closest friends, you know, my family are aware. They know that sometimes I need time to process things. They know that I sometimes need time to stop and think and that if you drop something big or just suddenly change the plan, I'm gonna go quiet because I need to process. I'm might stress out, I might panic because everything has suddenly changed. Currently where I work, I do inform clients, I do self disclose. It's self disclosure is a difficult thing to deal with with what I do I I have spoken to autistic clients and said look this is who I am this is a little bit of background about me why I'm calling I am also autistic and I've had some some people turn around and say thank you it has been so nice to talk to another neurodiverse person who understands that is what I do it for it helps people understand that I'm not just reciting stuff from a textbook just because they may have a diagnosis doesn't mean it's limiting, it's debilitating full time. You have good days, you have bad days, but it shows that there are people who understand and that is, at the end of the day, what autistic people want is understanding. We're not out for sympathy. Certainly, if you are a later life diagnosis, you've spent so much of your life being misunderstood, feeling like people aren't listening to you, and then to have someone say, oh yeah, that's... I get that as well. And this is how I've come over. You think, wow, I didn't realize I could have done that. I have gone through several therapies in my time and I've never felt that CBT has worked. I have since then received EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy from a neurodiverse therapist. And that has made a huge world of difference because it's someone who understands me. Someone who's actually taken the time and I've actually felt listened to and felt that my needs are being met for the first time.
0: But that's what makes your story so inspirational is that you went through so much as, you know, like you say, as a child growing up through university, all of that and coming into work and all of the lows that you experienced to turn it around and now be this inspiration for other people and to be that voice and to allow them to be heard and understood is so vital and you know the trust is very lucky to have you as uh, you know working you. in this role clearly and i mean i'm interested to know how you were supported by the trust you talk a, a bit about reasonable adjustments and has the trust been supportive in terms of your diagnosis
1: when you get a later life in diagnosis you kind of go through a bit of a grief process i describe it as you get that sort of, first off it's like no, no 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 it's not me this isn't right then there's you start sort of looking into it more you get that and you're like, why didn't anybody notice this before you know i've seen all these people and they haven't noticed you then get to your acceptance and it's like yeah okay i am autistic i am who i am you then take that to your employer and if your employer doesn't give reasonable adjustments well then they're failing you and under the equality act they're meant to by law when i um interviewed for my post here prior to the interview i revealed my diagnosis I was given extra time in the interview I was allowed to write down what the interview questions were so that I could read them process them use my response they have been wonderful in helping me adapt.
0: Just thinking about other people who might be listening to this who might be thinking either he sounds like me I'm interested to explore looking into autism more or if somebody is just thinking about their own diagnosis they might have been diagnosed recently is there any kind of advice that you could give anybody
1: be yourself it's very very terrifying and very very difficult to take that mask off that you've developed over the years and i'm, I'm still learning to do it but embrace who you are is the important thing have a little look there's the national autistic society there's autism east anglia they're very good for sort of giving you advice helping you direct places their websites have got a lot of useful hints and tips. There are some brilliant books. The the book that I mentioned previously that my wife got me is called The Nine Degrees of Autism. And I bought my own copy after that. And that is now full of notes and highlights and sort of little bits and bobs from where I was like, oh, yeah, this is just me. Um, but there are so many other books out there. Just have a look. You've got brilliant advocates like Chris Packham and Christine McGuinness. They did documentaries earlier on this year and it led nationally to a almost double the referrals to autism services. Certainly with Chris Packham's showing you how beautifully articulate and just wonderful autistic people are. There is still a lot of stigma around autism. It's getting more widespread. It's getting more awareness out there. Hopefully the understanding will follow.
0: Thank you for listening to take a moment with nchc if you've enjoyed this podcast please visit the podcast intranet page to leave a comment and for details of our other episodes you can also follow nchc on all social media channels